0: Welcome to episode 27 of the What's Up podcast presented by Old Ricky Astro. It's the 19th of July, 2018. My name's Martin. I'm Ali. And I'm William. Today we're going to talk about a few different news stories that have caught our eye. Uh, We're going to have some marvellous musings on moons, meerkats, and massless particles. Marvellous. Okay, so to kick us off then, William, you're going to tell us a bit about moons. Moons. This is
1: about 12 moons in particular, all of which are trundling around Jupiter. Uh, This is the exciting press release just from a few days ago now. Um, about the fact that they have recently discovered twelve new moons, which are um, orbiting Jupiter, which is uh, brings I think brings the total up to seventy nine. I probably should have checked that. Well, um, <laughs> it's it's a lot of <laughs> moons. It's a heck of a lot of moons. Um, I've I've really enjoyed reading about this. Um, it's been great fun um, because it's all kind of a it's very nice, accessible sort of things of planets and moons and chunks of rock, and but also just I, I had no idea how complicated the, the Jovian System is Um, the only picture. Yeah, it was
2: really messy in the picture I saw. Really messy stuff flying around all over the place. And I I guess that sort of makes
1: sense. But I'm I'm used to just seeing the four big ones exactly. And I I, I kind of I knew there were others, but 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 I just hadn't quite realised. There's lots of different um, distances involved. So so there's there's there's, there there are four famous moons which which Galileo saw what a long time ago, 1610 something like that. Um, Hmm. And then since then, basically, we've just kept finding more and more. Um, especially once we went to visit uh, with craft and stuff, but these these new twelve new ones have been seen from the ground. In fact, um, intriguingly, it was the people who were doing the study for trying to find Planet X, um, which is the sort of hypothetical ninth planet, um, where they they've there's some quite, I mean quite credible kind of predictions about the fact that there might be some large body beyond Pluto, um, and so they were staring at patches of the sky um, to, to study this thing and, and Jupiter was within the sort of searching area they were looking at. I think it's the same group who are kind of doing planets and moons and stuff so it's not like a, you know, a random thing but but they used the data set which they were using for that to to, to look at Jupiter um, and they managed to, de- to detect some initial observations of um, some moons and then they followed them up with other telescopes and so they found um, and they're really intriguing because they're all like they're in different groups. So, say that what I hadn't realized was that there's these four big moons um, which are going around. Um, Jupiter the fun open. ones. The what fun
2: order ones. are they in again? Is Io, Europa, Ganymede, Callisto? Or is it Callisto, Ganymede? Oh, get that.
1: <clears throat> Wikipedia will help you. It would. Um, <laughs> there's those four big ones. Um, then there's like another little group which are all uh, a little bit further out, a bit smaller, uh, obviously, um, but are going around in the same direction. So, mm-hmm. they are prograde. Yes, i.e., they are orbiting in the same direction as the planet is spinning. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then beyond that, there is this little cluster of um, sort of, in fact, three different groups of of bodies which are all going the opposite direction. So they're whizzing around the they're going the opposite direction to the to the inner moons. Um, so retrograde. Um, and they have found um some in that group. They found some in the sort of middle band of the middle-sized ones. Um, so, there are, so I think there's two in the middle side, pro-grade group, and then there's most of them in the outer group, which is which is quite impressive. Um, but the thing that they're very, very excited about is the fact that one of the ones in the retrograde section is not retrograde, so it's going <laughs> pro-grade. So what there, they're... Wait a minute. <laughs> so there's one moon which is whizzing round amongst lots of other moons um, in the opposite direction. Um, so they're saying there's a chance at some point that that thing is going to hit something. Can go, we Ooh. please name that the Slim Pickens Moon? <laughs> Just waiting for a collision. <laughs> that, that, the, the description was, you know, this is like driving down the motorway going in the wrong direction. Wow. So at some point you can hit something. Um, but I, I, I just hadn't realised, they think that all those three which are going the wrong way are all from things which have hit something before. So they, been, they're disintegrated asteroids which have probably been caught. Oh. Leftovers. Um, leftovers.
0: This raises an interesting question in my mind. What makes a moon a moon?
1: Mm. Well, so I was trying to look this up because I, I had a similar sort of query. like, Where do we draw the line? And I couldn't find anything which was sort of as definitive as, you know, this is the whole like, planet, dwarf planet debate, and they kind of tried to make some rules about what constitutes a planet. Yeah. Um, and that's why Pluto got demoted. Poor Pluto. Um, <laughs> but there doesn't seem to be anything quite as sort of clean cut with uh, moons. Um, well, you've got the, the easy one. is If you're orbiting a planet, then you're probably a moon.
2: True. That's but... The, yeah. Then I'm guessing there's a lower limit that nobody can agree on. That's the tricky bit. Okay, so, yeah, the upper know,
1: end, there's kind of a. a, a, a if, you're, if you're a body orbiting uh, a, a planet, or orbit, not even a planet, actually, if, you, if you're the sec, mm. the smaller body, um, Relative or something to which the is clunky, orbiting the, the yeah. sun. So, so if you know, there's a. This is but, the Pluto sharon thing. Exactly. Um, although I did read something else which was trying to say that to try and get a clearer definition of what planet is, somebody have proposed a new way of defining how you define planets which would still exclude Pluto, but would actually make the moon a planet. Um, that's a different <laughs> issue. Cool. That's <laughs> really good. I like that. i thought you been having fun. Um, but um, these things are only about a kilometre across, these new ones they found. They have a bit of a range. That's but only pretty th- chunky. So
2: it, I mean, it, like, the way I see it is if, if Ming the Merciless in Flash Gordon can push it into you and cause significant mess, then it's, it's probably a moon. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know if you've got a planet with rings though like saturn you can't obviously call every single ring particle well, that's the intriguing thing but they've been the calling things moonlets these are the tiny little ones and i don't know that's probably so got moonlit. more arbitrary sizes as well i just like saying moonlit as well but then does mars have moonlets or is it phobos i think well, phobos is pretty chunky isn't it it's not yeah, it doesn't it's still, count as a yeah.
1: it's a, not very. it's very misshapen but it's still yeah. quite big um, but i mean so i think if you're on ring systems then you you know it's really Mm. Millimeters.
2: I'm thinking like, we're in hot really water small. whatever we see so yeah.
1: it doesn't matter <laughs> um, but I mean because Jupiter's got a ring system as well and actually there's another thing I don't know how to, the Jupiter ring system is inside the four Jovian moons which i never really even considered before but it's actually really quite close in but I suppose if you think of Saturn and when we see Saturn you can see that the rings are kind of um, comparable size to the planet itself mm-hmm. okay a few, a few times larger than the diameter of the planet and Jupiter's the same the rings are right in close um, and then the moons are progressively in these kind of like banded orbits further away. Um, and then there are some very small moons which are also in the ring structure as well, which are sort of shepherding the rings. Yeah. In fact, they think maybe the rings for Jupiter are from um, collisions with those inner moons because the Jupiter rings are made, mainly made of dust rather than ice and dust like Saturn's, which is also part of the reason why we can't see them because the dust is less reflective. And mm. that's why we only saw them when we went to visit with Voyager. Um, Is the next step that
2: they're going to, you know, get all the orbit parameters, run the numbers, and then we might have a paper soon that says in X amount of years, that little progade, a crazy moon, is going to smack into something. And, you know, I'm I'm guessing that's going to be fun for people to try and simulate anyway. um, If
1: you get the orbital parameters... Well enough, then yeah, you can do it.
2: Well, it it, it, it sounds straightforward, but it's this the classic n-body thing in physics, where if you've got two things orbiting around one another, that's dead easy in terms of the maths. But then as soon as you add in something else, i.e., the sun, so sun, Earth, and Moon all matter, and you can't ignore one, and it, yeah. it, it introduces perturbations. And if you run the clock forward, things start getting really messy. So you would probably need a fairly sophisticated computer to run all those numbers. But it's, I it's still want to hear, I you know, mm-hmm. if I could possibly tune in for the mess that's going to come, <laughs> that would be fantastic.
0: It also raises the question with these sort of inner moons that you talked about. If one of them is going the wrong way or another one going the wrong way and that causes a collision, that collision presumably throws a lot of debris, which causes more collisions, you get a cascade event. Are you getting yeah. up with a new ring system? Could this now disintegrate all those moons into a ring system? I don't know. I should, I, and, I, no, that's a very intriguing Interesting question.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, How far out are the new ones? You know, like in radian? Um,
1: oh, great. Jupiter they're with... millions of kilometers. I think they're sort of 20 million kilometers. So about 10, I think it's about 10 times the. Uh, the sort of distance the uh, Io and uh, the four Galilean moons are away. I guess it's sounds quite um, far.
2: And I usually get upset because as soon as you do run the numbers, you realize just how empty everything is. Yeah. And the, the odds go. Um, it's like moving through the asteroid belt when you send a probe out to the <laughs> yes, distant right, solar actually. system. Everyone's like, but you're going to hit something. Yeah, and like the odds of you actually up, smacking This into is not them. the Empire Strikes no. Back. That's not how asteroids work. <laughs> no. You can still have the tune, though, if you want.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what I don't know as well is whether there's. Whether there's going to be lots more, you know, is this actually, mm. you know, as we look more closely, and, and that's the other thing. when We get into the what's a moon? Are there hundreds of like, you know, five hundred meter objects? Yeah. Presumably not. But I think also, I, I suppose part of the reason for this complexity is the fact that there's a lot of debate about. You know, Jupiter is by far the the largest body after the the the, the sun. I mean, the, it's a huge fraction of the remaining mass in the solar system is mm. in Jupiter. Um, so a lot of things which get pulled in from server afield, uh, for, you know, from Kuiper Belt or whatever it might be, um, they're going to hit Jupiter. Like, I mean, we've seen, we've actually seen it, haven't we, with Schumacher mm. um, Levy. Um, so, presumably, the fact that Jupiter is more likely to pull things in is probably why it's such a blooming mess. Because it's lot, loads yeah. of things, that, that, you know, those, they think those three outer sets of rings are all from broken up things already. Mm. And well, actually, one of the suggestions was maybe, sorry, well, I'm just kind of enjoying that Jupiter's, it, it changes
2: when whenever somebody goes with a new instrument. Yeah. You see something a bit different. And so it's, yeah. it's not like something you're like, oh, that's done. We'll move on from Jupiter. And Pluto yeah. became exciting. But Jupiter's, you know, you still find new things every time you go back. There's something that you're not quite figuring out the answer to. So it's a fun story. Just yeah. For yeah.
1: There's still, and there will still be more, you know, there's going to be more. And we, we do have
2: new probes on the way to Jupiter. Yeah. Well, yep. JUICE, I'm looking forward to that when that launches. I'm sure we'll talk about JUICE. Uh, another time, mm. but
1: that it's going to mean more pretties. Um, I'm really intrigued though, that we've sent quite a few probes out to Jupiter mm. and yet we're still making these discoveries about some of the moons. From the ground, but then I guess the um, probes are looking at I Jupiter so. and the ones that you know about, so
2: and but you are know, they they're not probably, imaging everything as they, they go along may... just in case of the moon, yeah. But they won't um, be designed to pick up these kind of small l- things, they'll be designed to do specific jobs. Yeah. I like the challenge because I wonder if in some of the old Galileo images, these moons are just floating in the background and they've been discarded as uh, something that's not been looked at properly. So, yeah. you know, I mean, if you've only got one image, you can't really guarantee no, that it so is a moon, there's because a lot of follow up, yeah. You, yeah. So, yeah. I think that would be fun to see if they, they had serendipitously caught some of these by accident just yeah. because it was pointing in the right direction. So yeah, it'd be fun.
1: No, oh, no, I think it's, uh, and, it, and it, leads, it leads into really intriguing kind of questions about the formation um, scenarios. There was something else saying that the, they think that the fact that these things are so small, um, they're such um, relatively little moons. Had they been there from day one when Jupiter was, Forming and the large moons were forming, there'd have been so much additional debris in the solar system as a whole um, that that additional debris would have effectively acted as a breaking force on these little, these smaller moons. And they would then have sort of been, they'd have, they'd have lost momentum and so fallen into the planet. Um, so they must have been formed after the initial set of moons, which is part of the reason why they would say, well, the fact they're running them backwards is obviously a good mm-hmm. clue is it's why they think these are much more likely the destruction of something else. Um, but the fact you can start you know, having those sort of like, conversations in the orders of scale as well, The fact that I mean, that does mean you filter out some of the, um, you don't get a huge spectrum of different moon sizes because the ones which originally form, the, 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 the smaller ones would, would just get lost from the mm-hmm. system, which is kind of quite, which I suppose is it, the same as the whole body. Can you still play that
2: argument where some of them might be caught and have come in from the outer solar system and have been grabbed by Jupiter as well, the retrograde ones? Yes, or um, totally. Well, I'm guessing that's part
1: of the follow up now. Is people are going to have to go and take Spectrum. and and, you say you go and model model it and try and understand it. Mm. I I, just, I just really enjoyed trying to understand a bit more about the t- Just, like, <laughs> new new members the of the family yeah and, and don't things me should, I know it sounds really stupid but things which you feel like like yeah I kind of got a reasonable idea about the Jupiter system actually I had, didn't have a clue <laughs> 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 so I've quite enjoyed myself as you can tell <laughs> we're, we're getting very good at not knowing enough about lots of things aren't we yeah. <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> um, so I um, should also say that Jupiter is currently visible. Since we actually we, we haven't been discussing things you can see in the night sky for quite a long time. The are a um, bit low at the moment. It's it annoying. is a bit stupid low. But l- Scotland with its stupid high latitude mm. and look to the southwest uh, at sunset and Jupiter is above the horizon. It, it passed opposition a couple of months ago. Um, so it's it's, you know, it's there. It, it, it's still pretty bright. Um, but it's just quite low in the sky and sets relatively quickly. Mind you, it's also partially because sunset so late.
0: No, oh, yeah. Um,
1: um it's yeah, go get your binoculars and you can see four of the moons. You won't see these other ones unless you have some <laughs> pretty good binoculars. They're they're the four that Yeah. yeah. They're, they're they're the, cool the, ones, there's so many it?
2: pretties to do with those Io and Europa in particular. And, yeah. and, and you you can, one's a volcanic pluke. And the other one is liquid ocean icy craziness going yeah, on. As they're, well. amazing. they're two completely different places.
1: And you can see them you can see them moving in relatively short space of time, look two nights in a row and the moons are in a completely different place. But mm. uh, you want is to amazing. turn up the nerd level, you can then start looking for the
2: transits and the shadow of the moons passing across yeah. the face of Jupiter. And that's that's, you know. Um, I can't do that. I haven't seen those with my own eye yet.
0: But there's an easier chance to see uh, a planet passing in front of a moon coming up. Am I correct? Ah, nicely, nicely done. Um, it is segue.
1: next, uh, well, this week, because we're recording this on the 19th, but it's going to be on the 27th, um, so Friday of this week, if you are listening on, as soon as the podcast has been released, um, we are getting in the way. <laughs> we, we are, as in the earth is getting in the way of the sun um, for people living on the moon. Um, in that uh, you get a, this is a very roundabout way. of right. <laughs> There's going to be a lunar eclipse. Very yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, If you're in Scotland um, or I think anywhere in the UK, um, the um, the moon the moon will be it'll be totality of the eclipse as the moon is rising, which is quite cool. Because if you think about it, in some ways, it's kind of got to all been aligned. The sun is setting over t- in the west. It's just West Astronomy 101. Um, The moon will be rising on the other side and they're all in a line. Um, And so as the moon rises then you, it's going to be kind of really red because you're getting this glorious kind of effect as the, the sunlight filters through the atmosphere. And you
2: Yeah, I, I like that even if the moon was high, the sort of redness of a lunar eclipse kind of varies because it sort of depends how dusty the Earth's atmosphere is as well because some of the Earth's uh, atmosphere is helping to bend light through and still make it to the moon so it doesn't go completely dark. You know, we're not
0: cutting it out completely. So it's going to be fun because they're never quite the same twice. No. also a really good excuse to listen to Creed watch Clearance Revival yes. uh, Red, Red moon moon Rising. Uh, during that. thank
1: That's you good. for explaining all that to me plus we can that. argue about the
2: moon illusion maybe
0: after we've yeah. all seen the eclipse we yeah. can all
2: argue about how big it actually looked You can, I, uh, we'll not go into the moon illusion too much but you can sort of dispel it by comparing using your thumbnail just hold it up at arm's length and measure how big the moon is relative to your nail when it's high so that next time you go oh my god it's low down and it looks massive do it again and it should be exactly the same size relative to your nail. So your brain is lying to you. Um, or at least it lies to <laughs> it me. Because, oh. uh, yeah, I've, I've had to do that and it does sort of break the illusion yeah, a little yeah. bit, but it's quite fun that your brain's working hard People to go re- close. That It's
1: really hard to like, override what your brain is doing. Like, Stop yeah. applying <laughs> stupid your stupid image filtering <laughs> techniques <laughs> to what I'm seeing. But actually, Will the Moon, and you know, you're saying it's redder when, it's, uh, you know, when there's more dusting. Outside. But also, to some degree... Like when we see the moon on the horizon, it kind of looks redder anyway. Um, so we're going to get like a double effect because we're going to see... Th- th- yeah, it's red on red. It's red yes. on red. And, yeah, so if, if you're, you're looking, looking
2: through lots of atmosphere, you've got less blue light anyway. Yeah. And pretty much for the same reason, the sort of the dusty particles in the atmosphere are helping to scatter away the blue light. So you're just seeing... Yeah, it's,
1: it's great because be you're, you're going to see the, the, the light, which you, when you look at the moon as it's rising during a lunar eclipse, a light would have passed from the sun all the way through the atmosphere, the Earth skimming through the atmosphere, bounced off the moon, and then come all the way back through, well, half the atmosphere Mm. to where you're standing watching it. That's really cool. You get one and a half atmospheres worth of
2: redness. Most of the time from Scotland, these distant photons from very uh, far away in the universe are getting stuck by the last layer of cloud. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm getting excited about this and it's probably going to be cloudy. So fingers crossed we get Mm. a clear view. It's going to be good though. I'm going to be in Wales. I'll compare the views. Well, okay. I, I, I sense some three-way thing where
0: we're all trying to get clear. <laughs> clear skies somewhere, anywhere, please. Okay. So let's go from comparing the moons to comparing the meerkats. Woohoo! Ally! What uh, am I talking
2: about? Uh, well, not the actual animals, although the the survey name does not help. Uh, if you do want to see real meerkats, Edinburgh Zoo has its own its own batch. Um, but the, there is a, a survey also called Meerkat, and this is a, a very big radio telescope that's currently sort of in its commissioning phase now, and it's a precursor to the SKA telescope, which is the Square Kilometre Array. Ska's is technically uh loads of different telescopes all sort of tied together to make one giant, amazing radio telescope for the next generation. Meerkat is kind of the precursor, so this is the South African component. It's um, lots of different dishes, 64 dishes, and they're about 13.5 metres across, and they are spread out in a clever way so that you can have very high-resolution radio images and also um, good sensitivity too. So you can compare it to the the maybe the VLA in New Mexico in America. That's mm. one that people have heard of the Very Large Array. That's the one from Contact that Jodie Foster's listening to on the dishes. So which, which is th- not how you use radio telescopes. Don't have to point listen out. to them. You tend not to have headphones plugged into them. That's no, You don't but have the, headphones. Yeah, not oh, yeah, be nice. You don't. <laughs> don't. We're it's, very upset. In, in my it's head, ridiculous. I can. Uh, but uh, Meerkat is kind of just the next generation, and it's the precursor to SKA. So it will these dishes will get folded into SCA, but they're sort of learning how to do this. But what's interesting about the VLA. Is they have a whole bunch of dishes. I didn't actually look up how many, so sorry, I don't know. Uh, but you have different configurations. The dishes. Some of the dishes are mobile, and if you want sensitivity, you move more dishes into the middle. If you want more resolution, you spread the dishes further out, and then you can sort of cheat. And this is um, where you're sort of adding up. You get an effective area, so your widest separated telescopes. But then you lose sensitivity if you do that. So the the magic of MeerKat is they have enough dishes in the middle and around the edges, and you don't need to worry about moving them, but you can, it's like running the VLA in most configurations all at the same time. So you get sensitivity and resolution. Long story short, it's making pretty, uh, and they've just released their some commissioning data, and so I, I'm interested in in MeerKat because they're they're taking lovely radio images of the things that I sometimes have to learn about with AGN, so active galaxies. They shoot out very high speed jets from their core, and you can see these jets in radio lobes, so giant, you know, way bigger than the galaxies themselves, extend out a very long way, but also look quite pretty in radio images. Uh, and uh, this telescope's sort of, you know, going to be chasing these. But the image that they've published just last week that caught my eye was actually a picture of the middle of the Milky Way. And I'm not going to lie, it wasn't an image I'd already seen. The VLA's done this image before, but it's much lower resolution. And it's a patch of sky, centred on the Milky Way centre. Centred on the Milky? Yes. Um, and it's about one degree by two degrees, so that's about eight full moons uh, in a clump. And it's very pretty. There's a lot of weird stuff in it. There's obvious bubbles from supernovae. Uh, and this beautiful sort of star-forming regions that are just massive and bright, and sort of you can sort of see a bit of structure in there. Your brain can almost sort of see the 3D effects. And then you also have these really crazy magnetic sort of tendrils, so almost vertical, so going through the the middle of the plane of the galaxy, so up and down. Um, some of these will be shock fronts where you've got higher-energy supernova remnants or whatever slamming into one another. But a lot of these things are magnetic. They're sort of tied in with the galaxy's magnetic field itself, and I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert in such things, but we, we genuinely don't know the exact origin of these structures, but Meerkat has given us a new view of this, and I, I, would, I think we can put the link into the, uh, uh, into the picture, so I, I would encourage you just to go and dive in and have a look at the radio sky, but it's, it's so messy. Like, if you look at the middle of the Milky Way in the optical, it's not very visible, but it's obviously there's more stars, you get dust lanes. Um, uh, if you go into the infrared, you sort of remove that dust. And again, you just have a, it's quite sensible looking, you know, less stars on the edges, more stars in the middle. Brain is happy with this. And then you go to the radio and it's like a bloody stramash. Like there's just such a mess of stuff happening. And it's fun just for that. It's a completely different view. Um, In terms of, you know, wavelengths and stuff, it's it's sort of... um, I guess I should maybe say a little bit about where the radio stuff is actually coming from. So radios, you know, it's just another part of the electromagnetic spectrum. I'm definitely not a radio expert, but I I see very pretty pictures from some of these missions. But the wavelength of the radiation is about, you know, centimetre length. So it's quite chunky compared to optical, for example. Um, And you can get radio emission from molecules that are just wiggling in space, vibration and rotation, and that can emit radio frequencies. And... Um, you can also get emission from um, particles spiralling around magnetic fields. So that's uh, what we're seeing with this kind of the AGN well, we know, stuff for sure. The the sort of um, you'll
1: the, get a bit of everything when you see the radio skies. So. On the tendrils, kind of those weird straight lines in the image. That's probably synchrotron stuff. Oh, well, okay. if it's connected right, so to magnetic acceler- fields, if, yeah, you're just
2: seeing stuff that's going around. Um, I think yeah, mostly electrons. But I, I, I'm not going to lie, I'm not an no. expert in all these
1: different mechanisms. But it, I mean, we're I mean not. We're not. You're saying we're not quite sure what those. Sort of lines. Yeah, in that was the, the press I mean, release.
2: Was like we're still trying to figure out, and yeah. apparently that this has now given us enough resolution to see point sources that might be connected with them. Yeah. So there, there may be, uh, you know, there's obviously some mysteries to solve there, which is which is kind of fun. It is just um, as you say, though. It's just an awesome image.
1: I, I, I would say go look at the particularly the bit on the left-hand side, um, <laughs> which is where the supernova bubbles are. Yeah, because they are just brilliant. They really look like free. They look like bubbles um, because you know we we always. We talk about I study massive stars, and and we often talk about the fact that supernova. You know, the reason we should study massive stars is because they have these large supernova, which enrich their local area as they throw Mm. out uh, material, and and you you can really sort of see that happening. There's these kind of, and particularly there's almost like one of them's got like multiple shells sort of coalescing, and and it's just great. It, it really is a real example, right there. You go. It, it, it does the win the month's uh, space pretty award, doesn't it? It does. Kind of, yeah.
2: this, this is nice, and and it'll probably just the first of many. I think Meerkat's just getting yeah.
1: up to full speed now. So as yeah. well, you say, Meerkat's getting up to full speed, and Meerkat is a fraction of the uh, what Skai can do. What, yeah, exactly. Mm. And I
2: think scans mid mid twenty twenties by the time mm. it gets up and running. Yeah, yeah I'll I say think
1: that. all being well, I think it will be a blurry uh, arrival date with that one, <laughs> in the sense of I think it will come in stages, yeah. um, because as you say, it's multiple. Different components combined together. Um, and so, like, I don't think it's quite like one, building one big telescope and going, we've turned it on, there we go, there's our image. It's kind of like, we've got this bit, then we've got this bit. And, and yeah, it's also awesome. amazing. There's a lot of clever maths in sticking together all oh, these various insane. signals from the different telescopes. I'm, I'm quite impressed s- they can do it as well as they, they do. I, it's a terrifying thing. I mean, the, the <laughs> amount of data is, what oh, was it? Is the whole thing? It's like five times the entire global internet traffic. But, wow, <laughs> it's just, yeah. just, just it's, it's obscene numbers. Um, big data, ladies and gentlemen. It is seriously big data. Uh, but I feel, I feel like it's almost. Um, I am going to say this carefully because, in case there's any radio astronomers listening, but I feel a little bit like SKA. Well, okay, you keep saying SKA. I've always called it SKA. Um, every time I, I hear SKA, I just I, I I get my dance on. Exactly. <laughs> my head. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I, so SCAR, SKA, SKA. Um, I feel like it's almost a. It's a vision. It's like we want to have this amazing network of radio telescopes across the world, and it's like that's where we're aiming. And in the way that sometimes it's like we're, we're building this thing. It's like no, this is where the radio community is, is going in stages, in steps, and it's going to get there at some point, and it's going to deliver. <laughs> some, well, I mean, phenomenal yeah, I mean, it's that big in scope, I think. So you know, the ELT
2: more people have heard of because it's in the optical, and but it's easier in to show in scope. This yeah. is oh, the radio equivalent is, is of this, that. This, this is bigger.
0: This yeah, is bigger. Um, SK is bigger.
2: It just in terms it, of amount in, of collaboration
1: or amount of money? Or, or, everything, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah collaboration. In every this is, For instance, this is global, whereas SK, uh, ELT, there are three different ELT projects um, across the world. Um, and the one which we, we're, we're particularly connected with here, and we talk about a lot, is the European one. So it's just the Europeans building it. And then the other one is like, one of them is Australia and America, one of them is America. Yeah, and, like, whereas SKA is the world. Yeah, um, because exactly. everyone has to work on it. Which um, is nice.
2: Um, I don't th- I'm hoping one of us gets an excuse to go and visit it at some point. That would be quite nice. I'd like to learn a bit more about radio astronomy yeah. before I write a proposal. For it, so.
0: Okay, so we're going to step away from the electromagnetic spectrum for a minute, though, and talk about a new discovery that's also happened in the last couple of weeks, which was about multi-messenger astronomy. And we've mentioned this in the past when we were looking at electromagnetic waves, light waves, and also talking about gravitational waves, mm. which are a whole different thing. There's another form of thing we look at in space. Um, which is particles. We've already mentioned about synchrotron radiation, movement of electrons, that kind of thing. In a kind of similar vein, there are these things called neutrinos. And neutrinos aren't part of the EM spectrum. They're not light. These are high-energy particles that are emitted by objects in the universe. And there's a lot of them. Uh, (laughs) That's selling a bit short. (laughs) I think probably as we've been sitting here discussing this
1: podcast... How many have passed through oh, this table? It a billion a it's second like, through your body. 100 thumb or
2: something?
0: trillion
1: through your body per second. Thank you for Googling that. <laughs> 100 trillion.
0: That's so these are particles that are bombarding everything all the time from lots of different places. They're quite small. They're very small. They're massless. That's why we introduced them as massless particles, which is like light itself. It's massless. So it travels. these things travel at the speed of light, and that's important in a minute. Um, but they are bombarding you. Uh, the problem with them is they're incredibly weak interacting, they just pass through you. They pass through the Earth, they pass through the galaxy, they pass through stars pretty much untouched. Um, so, detecting them is incredibly difficult. And there's a few experiments across the world that have been doing this and doing it for a long time. We can detect solar neutrinos with comparative ease, let's call it. I love the hear you say that somebody's just built a comparative ease. So the,
2: these get spat out <laughs> by fusion, right? So, yep. this is like proper in the core solar stuff. Yep. I've just yeah. got
0: this lovely image of a scientist with a net going. <laughs> <laughs> Come uh, on. <laughs> I Um, um, got one! Solar ones are comparatively easy to catch is what I'm saying. Yeah, Exosolar ones, ones that are from other objects in the galaxy, is incredibly difficult. But they've caught one. And the experiment that's caught it, the ones that spotted it, is also fantastically well-named. It's called IceCube. And this is an experiment in Antarctica. And so the way you catch these neutrino images, uh, or sorry, detections, is by having a large tank of material, quite often water or Uh, water mixed with bleach or something like that. One Um, of them had, was it xenon? Liquid xenon? Yeah. yeah, Weird, weird stuff. Lots of different things. These basically have large uh, nuclei inside them that the particles might have a chance of interacting with. The way they detect them isn't actually by detecting the neutrino itself, but by detecting light emitted by interaction of the neutrino with the material. This is a very complicated way of trying to explain this, but it's called Cherenkov radiation. And Cherenkov radiation is caused When a particle passes through a medium at a speed faster than light travels through that medium. Now we've always said that light is the fastest thing in the universe, and that is true in a vacuum. But when light passes through materials, it does slow down. This is actually why your glasses work. Uh, The light slows down and it bends through the material and comes out at different angles than it went in. And sometimes you get particles like neutrinos that can travel faster than that light can in that material. And when that occurs, it's very similar to what happens when a a jet was supersonic. You get a sonic shockwave. Cherenkov radiation is essentially a light shockwave. And it's an emission of light as the particle travels faster than the light it can. Does that make sense?
2: Yes. Um, Somebody tweeted a picture. I think it was the Massimo Twitter account, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, And it was a nuclear reactor. Um, seen with a camera, but it, the the water around the thing that's doing the coolant is glowing blue. Yeah, and you sometimes see it in movies. But I would I would caution anyone for in, inferring <laughs> that that's how you build a nuclear reactor if you see it in a film. But that's um that's uh, the most common place you would think to see that actually because <laughs> yeah. the, the nuclear reaction itself, the particles that are coming off of that, they are slamming into that coolant material and doing the same thing, and you get this ghostly electric blue yeah. color, which
1: is kind of cool. So I'm assuming it's um, so, so, the thing I'm not quite clear on, um, which maybe you're about to say, mm-hmm. uh, it, there are loads of neutrinos, which are all passing at the speed of light through this material, where the speed of light is yes. sort of the actual light itself. So, yeah. why don't we we only see some of them?
0: And how does that work? Is it just getting lucky? It's like, the number of interactions is small. All is bombarding through, you're only detecting a handful of them because oh wait. So, should I should say the way ice cube works. The way cube works is relying on the Cherenkov radiation. But rather than having a big tank of liquid, which is what a lot of the detectors do, they went to Antarctica, drilled uh, 84 holes in the ice down to a depth of two, just under 2.5 kilometres um, and basically had long <laughs> wires. Crazy. And on those wires, um, there is photo sensors. So basically like uh, things that detect individual photons. Because Cherenkov radiation is very small numbers of emissions. So... They've got these these balls essentially that sit on this tube, and will detect when that emission happens. And they've got eighty four of these strung out. There's about five thousand, just over five thousand sensors in total in this area at this depth, and they're just waiting for these neutrinos to pass through, and cause a detection. And then they can do timing between the the detection balls to get an idea of what direction the the particle came in from. Um, So you get directionality.
2: The ice is like crystal clear in this particular region. Yeah. So, so the reason for
0: doing it in this depth in this area is you've got nice, clear transparent ice. And,
2: and water's quite dense so yeah. the game is now we've got
0: huge amounts
2: of ice that we're, yeah. we're getting for free almost because we don't have to set up a lab to do it. You're just yeah.
0: drilling in and going, we'll, we'll wait and see what we get. And there's also a whole bunch of detectors on top of the ice which I don't really know something quite how they work but it allows them to extract other interactions and remove other possible resources of these um, events. Because other things can cause Similar signals and sort of similar uh, Cherenkov signatures, like cosmic rays hitting the upper atmosphere and emitting stuff, oh, by and having you get things like above a circle shower that hits the ground. Yeah, yeah. Okay, So you, you well. can deconvolve bits and pieces, and that's I, I'm not going to pretend to understand fully how this works, mm. but the key point here is they've managed to t- pick up a detection of uh, a neutrino from a source that wasn't our own sun, which is one of the major sources, and they had a pretty clear idea of where it came from in the sky. So they made a phone call to a bunch of all astronomer the buddies. Uh, they all pointed the telescopes towards this patch of sky, and they think they've now identified the object from which this neutrino came. And it is a blazar, mm, which... Close to my heart. I can, refer, <laughs> I can defer to Ali. So you can tell me when I'm wrong, when I start going wrong on this. But it's the scent, it's an active black hole inside a galaxy. Mm. that The beam, you mentioned earlier about these sort of beams, these radio lobes that you can see coming out yeah. the centre of these things. It's when it happens to... Cross the path of the Earth, and like a lighthouse sending a beam across the Earth. It's this sort of pulse that you get down it, and that's what we've seen from this neutrino detection.
2: Yeah, so they are just like very big versions of pulsars almost, so they're they're not rotating in the same way that pulsars are. So Pulsars are very dense star remnants where they're spinning very fast and have that same lighthouse effect. Um, In AGN, it's not spinning like that, but if you're looking down the beam you will see this very bright object, even though if you are looking at it from the side, you might not notice it at all. Um, but most uh, of what we see is electromagnetic radiation. Yes. Yeah, and a bright star. I, it, I'm not going to lie, when I heard this story, I went, because huh? mm-hmm. I have never seen any mention of the fact that we would expect neutrino emission from AGN. And that's interesting because we, we don't really know how those jets are launched. We can't resolve them, they're too far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the distance for your average blazer tends to be half the universe away. You know, this is, uh, um, this is not local stuff. Uh, there's <laughs> one is, or, there's maybe one or two process, local examples. But yeah, it's good news because this is very high-energy stuff. You wouldn't want to be in the path of this beam, that's for sure. Um, I think maybe, I seem to remember this is an extra sort of record-breaking thing, not just because it's not from our sun, but because it's so distant. Because I have a feeling that the supernova 1987A, did we not catch a couple neutrinos from that as well? Or oh, did we? But that's, that's kind of local again, you know, mm-hmm. that's your own Milky Way backyard kind of thing. So this is, this is a very <laughs>
1: distant neutrino. So it's also extremely high energy, isn't it? I think it uh, higher energy than you get from the from solar
2: neutrinos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's fun because it means people can dive into AGN jets and, mm-hmm. and, and, again, try and piece together exactly. We think it's something to do with magnetic fields and the black holes spinning, so mm-hmm. they, they sort of get twisted up and you throw anything in, uh, it'll get spun up and, you know, shot out at high
0: speed, just like a giant particle
2: accelerator. So very messy stuff.
0: As a point of interest the object is in Orion. You look oh, nice. at Orion in the sky. It's cool. sort of, obviously it's not one of the stars of Orion but it's, <laughs> it's behind Orion. Way, <laughs> way, way, way a long And long way. I guess is
2: there still a chance that this is not the correct source? Or are they very seem, confident in has to They seem to be confident of this. To, this. They to, I mean, it, to, far, to narrow this down this is what they believe it to be. I mean, I I guess I'm not surprised if blazers can spit out really high-energy neutrinos as well, but at the same time, yeah, not having made that connection
0: in the past, Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this is a a new thing. And again, one of the key points here is this multi-messenger astronomy. Everything, up until the last three years, everything we know about our universe has been based on electromagnetic waves. And in the last three years, we have found two additional ways of observing the universe. We have two more senses now to observe the universe
2: with. I mean, I guess we've known about neutrinos for a while, yeah. but we haven't really had detectors that are, I guess, good enough or, no. or have a big we, enough patch of sky. Them to a very
1: local, you know, mm-hmm. say, Look at the solar system, yeah. not to look back through a appreciable fraction of the history of the. And I uh, guess L-
2: half the you. battle is just figuring out where the heck it came from. Because if you see a flash and you can't trace yeah. that path back, then it's
1: almost no use to you yeah. anyway. Because you're like, okay, <laughs> just going to add that to the pile. <laughs> of it's, it's again sort of kind of satisfying as well, isn't it? That you, you you kind of see this thing, you go, what the, hell, what the hell creates this? This is like phenomenally high energy. Is where's it come from? And you look back and you and you go, All oh, right, it lines up with something which we have already measured in a completely different way and with something which produces lots of high energy stuff okay admittedly, maybe slightly surprising mm-hmm. but it's still very if you know, it's, it's still reassuring out,
0: that. if this thing's spewing out high energy of everything else it sort of makes sense that well yeah it wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprising to out a high energy of this as well yeah
2: so yeah it's, it's going to be fun to see if, if we get more because that, yeah. that blazers don't tend to switch off on a human sort of time scale they flicker loads I mean they're actually annoying for depending on what type of AGN um, active galaxy science you want to do uh, blazers can get in the way because <laughs> the the ones I care about are the ones where you don't see down the barrel of the jet because I want to care about the, the clouds of stuff that are orbiting a bit further out from the black hole and the jet is so overpowering that it washes everything else out so the ones with jets you actually don't see some of that information that I want and so they're they're yeah there's not so many of those as there are normal AGN because obviously it's quite rare that you are staring
1: down the barrel um, but they are fun objects so i just say again how I, I think I got lucky this week. You know, in, in, in terms of like learning about looking at Jupiter's moons where it's like there's a moon around <laughs> a planet. In like comparison to having to worry about how the heck are neutrinos detected? <laughs> or how <laughs> does interferometry work for I'm like well, oh, this- well, I mean, those those jets
2: are still visible at least. So you know, the Meerkat images, you do see these massive and there's a couple of local ones, 3C273 and M eighty seven, I think they, they have jets. M87, um, yeah, and it, yeah, awesome. the, the M87's jet is really pretty in the yeah. optical, actually, as well. So, yeah, it's, it's worth having a look
0: for that one on
1: on Wiki too uh,
0: Sticking with the theme of finding needles and haystacks, these kind of diamonds in the rough of a whole bunch of different noise, the Edinburgh Fringe is also coming up. Uh, which, if anybody lives in Edinburgh, knows that there's going to be an awful lot of culture shows and comedy shows. Would you and like, a flyer? You Would can you like a flyer? Would you like a flyer? <laughs> over the next few weeks, <laughs> we will make an attempt to find the best uh, science and science fiction related uh, story. Um, events that we can mm. and put them up on our facebook and twitter feeds so if anyone's in the edinburgh fringe festival and they want to have a look at our feeds, they can maybe find some good recommendations for shows
1: yeah equally if you're listening and you've got a show and you want us to promote it let get in touch and we yes will, we'll, we'll, we'll just add it to the list yeah yes, yes, cool.
2: indeed <laughs> we should be trying to come and see it as well if we can oh, yes. be nice. I'm, I'm away on holiday for some of august so you know <laughs> i'm not, not right. planning <laughs> are, are you renting your flat out to make lots of money i have an actor pal who's not probably going to give me any money for using my flat but you know at least it's getting used It's free tickets to a show I can't be one of those Edinburgh people that that, you know moves out for a month and then charges no I wouldn't no politics I think we've once again (laughs) wandered
0: off topic of astronomy so it's a good time to finish off the podcast thank you very much for listening cheers all bye